in, uh, in Galatians 5, uh, verses 16 and 25, uh, Paul uses two phrases to describe our walk with God, our Christian walk. And he says first that we should walk by the Spirit. And then in verse 25, he says that we should keep in step with the Spirit. We should keep up with Him. We should be right there with the Spirit. We should walk by the Spirit, and we should keep in step with the Spirit. And so this, this year, we've been talking about Ignite. We've been talking about what it means for us as a church, as people, uh, to, to have our passion for God ignited. And uh, as I think about that, I'm convinced that what Paul says here in Galatians is what we need, right? We need to be people who walk by the Spirit. And we need to be people that walk in step with the Spirit. Now, that, that means we go where the Spirit tells us to go. Right? We, we go to people that he tells us to go to. We speak what he tells us to speak. We repent when he convicts us of sin. Our life is, is uh, controlled by him. He guides us. He leads us. And we spend our lives and how we live walking with him. That's our life as, as Christians. Now, to some of us, this is not a familiar phrase. It's not something you've ever heard before. To many of us, it is. I'm afraid to many of us, it's not a way of life that we know. Going about our, our everyday life thinking, God, what do you have for me right now? Who is it that you want me to speak to? What is it that you want me to do? But here's what I know happens based on Scripture, and that's what we're going to look at first, is that when we live a life by the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, God does amazing things in our own lives, and he does amazing things around us. So today, I titled the sermon uh, On the Edge, and that's not because I'm on the edge because I got stress in my life or a new baby. That's not it at all. Uh, here's what I mean by on the edge. It's right here. Uh, uh, we got a kingdom, right? God describes what he came to do as establishing his kingdom. We call it the kingdom of light, right? And there's also another kingdom. Everything that's not light is what? Darkness, right? There's a kingdom of light, and there's a kingdom of darkness. And we live in the kingdom of light. And a lot of times I think what happens is we try to retreat to the center of that kingdom as much as possible. Stay away from the edges where light and darkness meet. We don't engage with the lost world. We don't really live on the edge. That's what I mean by on the edge. I'm convinced after reading Acts this week that a life lived in step with the Spirit is a life lived on the edge. It's right on the edge of darkness, still in the light, but seeking to rescue people out of the darkness. See, because unless we're on the edge of darkness and we're helping people come out of darkness into light, the kingdom of light is not expanding. It's shrinking, right? So here, here's the truth. If we refuse to live our lives by the Spirit and in step with the Spirit, we won't live on the edge of darkness and the kingdom of darkness will expand in Huntington, Texas. Not just in Guinea, West Africa, where there's voodoo and all that other stuff. Not just in other languages where they don't know about God. I'm talking about right here. And sadly, I'm going to show you, I think that's what's happening. Because we aren't living by the Spirit, the kingdom of God is not expanding in Huntington, Texas. But the kingdom of light is. So I want to show you that from Scripture first. And then I want to show you some other stuff after that to back up what I'm saying. Okay, so if you got your Bible, just plant yourself an axe. That's where we're going to be. 
I want you to see this, that this isn't just what I'm thinking, what I'm saying. This is what really happened in God's word. So Acts 13, let's go there first. Acts 13. Peyton, will you put this first, the one right before that? See, when we, when we live in step with the Spirit, first of all, here's what the pattern is in Scripture. The Spirit will lead us to people. When we live our lives listening to the Spirit, going where He tells us to go, inevitably what happens, He leads us to certain people. Acts 13, let's read verses 1 through 6. It says, Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Listen to this. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. I'm probably not pronouncing these right. If you don't know, just sound confident, okay? But if you've got to read in life group, just sound confident when you say it, and people will think you're right. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain mag- magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Here's what happens. They're, they gather together as a church, and the Spirit says, hey, you need to send these two out to go over here. I want to use them in a certain place. I want to use them to reach who? This person, bar Jesus. They were sent out for this man. See, when we walk in step with the Spirit, inevitably what happens is we get sent to people to, to tell them about God, to... to Point them to Jesus, right? That's what happens. It's just what happens in Scripture. And eventually this bar, Jesus, this Simon, and many others believed. Let's look at another example, Acts 16. Flip a few pages over. Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. Some more names. I'm going to try to sound confident when I pronounce. Here we go. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. You hear that? The Spirit wouldn't let them go into this place. Verse 7, And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. They're trying to go, but God's telling them, not there, not there. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They tried to go these different places, but they're living in step with their spirit. They're trying to be guided by him. They're listening to where do you want us to go? Who do you want us to speak to? They don't get to go here. They don't get to go there. But God says, no, go to Macedonia. They say, okay, maybe we should go to Macedonia. Right? It's kind of funny. They concluded, we should go to Macedonia. Right? When they're living in step with the Spirit, the Spirit will lead us to certain people. There were a bunch of churches established in Macedonia. Philippi, we get the letter to Philippians. Thessalonica, we get two letters to them. All because of their obedience and their willingness to be led by the Spirit. Let's see one more example. Flip back to Acts chapter 8. 
Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 31. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Crazy. He rose and he went. He just did what the Spirit told him to do. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. This isn't by chance. The Spirit knew. Verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. When we live a life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, inevitably what happens is he leads us to people. Is that happening? Have you ever had that happen where you knew it without a doubt, I'm supposed to talk to that cashier at, the, at, at Brookshire's? I'm supposed to, supposed to go to this place and God's going to show me somebody to talk to. Because that's what happens in Scripture. He leads us to people. Second, though, he doesn't just lead us to people. He leads us to darkness. And you may go, Byron, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound biblical at all. What are you talking He leads us into the darkness. This is what I'm talking about, living on the edge. He didn't send missionaries. He didn't send people out to go to Christians. He didn't send them out to go to churches necessarily. He sent them into the darkest places on a rescue mission, right? The Holy Spirit leads us to darkness. Let's look at it in Acts 9, verses 10 through 15. It should be on that same page. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus, named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the Holy Spirit leads us at times to people and he leads us to darkness Ananias was told by God, I want you to go to the most notorious murderer, the most uh, notorious hater of Christians that has ever existed, and I want you to pray for him, right? That's, that's right into darkness. That's not this safe calling, hey, I want you to do this or do this, something easy and comfortable. No, he sends him right into the center of darkness. The Holy Spirit sends him there. And the reason he does is because only when we're on the edge of darkness will we see God bring people out of darkness and into light. Does that make sense? It's just obvious, right? Let's look at another example from Scripture, Acts 5. Flip back a few pages. Acts 5, 
verse 17 through 21. It says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, and they put them in the public prison. Why, why did they get put in prison? Because they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching about Jesus. They're, they're being obedient to what the Spirit told them to do, and they get put in prison. Verse 19 says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Not go home. Go relax. Go and stand in the temple, just where you were, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. The apostles go to the temple. They're preaching about Jesus. And what happens? They get arrested for that. They get thrown in prison with possible penalty of death coming. God miraculously shows up, opens the doors. They get to go free. And they're thinking, wow, this would be a great ending of the story. But what does the Spirit tell them to do right after that? I want you to go right back where you were, right into the middle of darkness, and I want you to preach. The same thing. They're thinking, you crazy, right? I would be. I almost got arrested one time in Spain. I don't have time to tell that story. I was going to, I really did, and not for any illegal act. Well, I guess it was illegal to them for sharing the gospel with kids. We got threatened with being arrested, and I freaked out, wanted to come home. Just being dead honest. Um, I didn't come home. These men got arrested, thrown in prison, are fearful for their life. And the Spirit says, go right back where you were, right into the middle of darkness, and proclaim the same thing. Why? Because it's only when we're on the edge of darkness that we see God rescue people out of darkness and into light. Let's look at one more example. Acts 8. Acts 8, verses 9 through 13. I just want you to see I'm not making this up. I'm just... Seeing what the pattern is in Scripture. What does a life look like when we live by the Spirit in step with the Spirit? Acts 8, verses 9 through 13. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. And he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. There's this man, and he's a magician. And don't think a uh, seven-year-old birthday party magician, right? Because those are cute and fun, and they're just, they're just deceiving you, right? They're, they're fun. This is, this is an evil man <laughs> because he's saying, I am the power of God, right? You see that? He is an evil man. He is in darkness. And Philip gets sent to him. Verse 11 as they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Simon was a magician and clearly against the things of God and Philip is sent to him He is darkness. He is not someone to mess with. And Simon gets sent to him. Philip preaches the gospel. God rescues him out of darkness and into light. This is the pattern in Scripture. When we live our life in step with the Spirit, he leads us to people, and he inevitably leads us 
to darkness, to the edge of darkness, right? So that we can see people rescued out of darkness and into light. It sounds really simple, right, (laughs) when we see it like that. Uh, But we are people who are fearful, amen? Right? It's fearful to go into darkness. That's why it's called darkness. It's fearful to approach someone who is totally against the things of God. Right? And we typically have two fears. I don't know what I'm going to say. Right? That's one of them. And then, Byron, I'm just, I'm just not bold. I just, I don't, I'm just not like that. I'm not up front with my faith. I'm, not, I'm just more reserved. I think those are two really common fears. So I want to show you from Scripture when we live our lives in step with the, with the Spirit, he helps us with both those two fears, that we don't know what to say and we're not bold enough. So I want you to flip back to Luke. It's the only passage, not in Acts. I almost did it. I almost found them all. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. It says this. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. We don't have time to even look at that, so we're going to set that to the side. Verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues, And the rulers and the authorities do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I want to read 11 and 12 again. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities. Why are they bringing them before the synagogues and rulers and authorities? Because they're bound in handcuffs. Because they're having to defend why they're preaching Jesus. He says this, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. That's a command. It's something for us to be, obey. When we give in to anxiety about, I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know how to do this. We're not walking in the spirit. I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm prone to that too. I, don't, I just don't know how to approach that. I don't, know what to, I don't have all the answers to their questions. He says, don't be anxious about that. Don't. Quit it. He says, instead, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. When we live our lives in step with the Spirit, he will lead us to people, he'll lead us to darkness, and he will teach us what to say. He will. I've seen it happen in my own life. I know many of you have seen that. Where he will teach you in that hour what to say. He will give you wisdom that you didn't even know you had. He will give you scriptures. He will recall things from mind so that you can answer their questions. But when we try to approach people from our own wisdom, from our own knowledge, from our own abilities to convince them of something, we might get somewhere. But if we're speaking in the spirit, we're going to get everywhere. So he'll teach us what to say. He'll also make us bold. He'll make us bold. I want you to flip back to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. The the believers are not a huge number at this point. Uh, They've got a few people 
They've had some suffering. They've had some people get arrested. They've had some things go bad, and they, they've gotten out of that. They come back together, and here's, here's what happens in verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them, which was what? Don't preach Jesus. Verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They're praying. They're crying out to God. They said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And what do they pray? Not for safety, <laughs> not for them to no longer threaten. They pray for boldness. It says, look upon their threats and grant to your servants continue to speak your word with all boldness. Why are they praying for boldness? Because they don't have it, right? If they had boldness, why would they be praying for it? They're praying for boldness because they know they need it, because they're fearful, because they're reserved, because they're not willing to step out. They're praying for boldness. And what does God do? Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We've got some fears. We've got some fears. And God says in his word, and he promises us that he will teach us what to say, and he will give us boldness if we pray for that. Those are our two common fears about speaking to someone that's in darkness, about trying to convince them of the truth of the gospel. You see, the same spirit that we just read about, what I wanted you to see was that this is straight from Scripture. I'm not just making this up to try to promote uh, evangelism or try to promote us being a bigger church so we can have more money or whatever. No, this is just the kingdom of God expanding, right? The same spirit that exists in this lives inside of each one of us, right? The same spirit that filled them fills you, Dwayne. And he gives you boldness, and he gives you the words to say. It's the same one. And so many times when we think, when I say uh, darkness, I think what we think of is Africa, right? You know, they've got voodoo, and they've got Islam, and they're just, they're just dark, and they've got this different language. Or we think uh, other parts of the United States, you know, like the East Coast and the West Coast, that's liberal land, and they're dark, and all this stuff, right? And we think everywhere else but here. We think missionaries only get sent out in, in those far places. And we read about these stories, and I think we just think it's so far from us. But as I started thinking about this sermon, what I realized as I started researching is that darkness has a very strong hold here in Huntington, Texas. 
And you may not agree with me up front, and that's okay. I hope to convince you that that's true. Darkness has a stronghold here in Huntington, Texas. We live in a mission field, but we don't often live like missionaries. Myself included, I'm preaching to me. We live in a mission field, a place that is highly unreached. But we often don't live like missionaries. And if the only missionaries our church has are the ones who go to Africa every couple months, cricket, we're in trouble. We're in trouble if we're sending out two people every couple months, and that's it. If we're not sending ourselves out every week and every month to be missionaries here, then the kingdom of darkness will continue its expansion and will crowd in on us, and the kingdom of light will shrink if we continue in the way we are. And I want to show you that. So I started thinking about this. Where is darkness in Huntington, Texas? Who are we? Is this, because I look around and I, I mean, most of the people I interact with on a weekly basis are in this room. I work at a church. Um, the most people I interact with is Christians. And so I'm thinking, oh man, we got to have like 50, 60, 80% Christians in this area. So I started doing a bunch of research and I want to show you that because I think it's important to help open our eyes to the fact that we live in a mission field, but I don't think we really live like missionaries. So I started looking We'll start big picture. United States of America. Peyton, you want to show this? I know this is like incredibly small text on the right. Uh, <laughs> I will read it. Uh, Barna Group is a, is a research organization that does a ton of research on Christianity and culture and all sorts of different things. Uh, George Barna says that about 31% of the United States population, about 3 in 10, identify as Christians. So they, they check off that box on a census or on a survey. Yes, I'm an evangelical Christian. I believe Jesus is the only way to life, right? About 3 out of 10. I don't know if that number is higher than you thought, lower than you thought, but that means there's more than twice as many non-Christians as there are Christians. Barna goes a little deeper, though, because we know there are a lot of people that say that they're Christians but aren't actually believing it, aren't actually living it. And so he does some, some research, and what he says is of that 30%, only 6%, so a fifth, actually believe these things. They have a personal commitment to Jesus. They believe when they die, they will go to heaven because they've confessed their sins they, they strongly believe they have a personal responsibility to share the gospel with others. They believe Satan exists. They believe eternal salvation is possible only through grace. They agree Jesus lived a sinless life on this earth, that the Bible is true, and that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, who created the universe. Only 6% of our population believes those things. The other 25 who say that they're Christians, they really only believe that they made a commitment to Jesus, they're going to heaven. They don't believe they have a responsibility to share the gospel. They don't believe um, that Satan exists for the most part. They don't believe that the eternal salvation is only through grace. They believe they have to earn it. They don't believe that Jesus Christ was sinless. They don't believe that the Bible is accurate. And they don't really believe in the God of the Bible at all. So, in the loosest sense of the term, three out of ten people are Christians in the United States. 
But maybe only a fifth of those actually really believe. We'll just say three out of ten for our purposes this morning. If that was true in here, in our congregation, so I'm just going to guess maybe about 200 people in here because the math is easy. If three out of ten, and this was the entire population, Glenn, what is that? 60? Three out of ten out of 200 is 60, right? So that might be this whole section right here. And everyone else, eh, that might be a little more than 60. Three out of ten. There's another group uh, called the American Culture and Faith Institute. And they show that only 25% of those who claim to be Christians believe that it's their responsibility to share the gospel with others. So 25%. So if that was in us, us here today, that'd be 40 of us in this room that actually believe I'm, I should share the gospel with my non-Christian friends. That's pretty shocking. It's, it's only 40, so that might be this section right here. And all of you heathens over here, I'm just kidding, don't believe that. You think it's somebody else's job. I don't know, God will just come to them in a dream. Only this group believes. That's crazy, right? And so what that means, and Barna shows this same thing, only 10% of the Christians that they've surveyed have actually shared the gospel with somebody in the last month. 10% of Christians. So that works out to about 3 or 4% of all people in the United States that have actually shared the gospel, actually tried to help somebody come to know God in the last month. If this was the entire United States, 3 or 4% of 200 is 6 or 8. Shane, stand up. Gary, will you stand up? Ashley, will you stand up? Cricket, will you sh- stand up? That's 4 I need three more. Stacy, will you stand up? George, will you stand up? Maddie, will you stand up? I know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about these people. I know my wife is excellent, but I don't know about the rest of you jokers. If, if this was the entire United States, this is how many people are actually trying to be light in dark places, sharing the gospel. That's crazy, right? That's crazy. So, so few. Y'all can sit down. Thank you. I tried to pick people that wouldn't be embarrassed to stand up. So if we bullet down from the United States, we get closer to home. Texas. Let's look at Texas real fast. Texas, the numbers are actually a little bit higher. If nationally we say three out of ten are believers or at least claim to be, in Texas it's probably more like four out of ten. So 40%. So this is some research done by PewForum. They say in Texas, adults who participate in prayer, Bible study, or religious education, education classes, those who go at least once per week in Texas is 30%, which is fairly high. Now, this is self-reporting, so they may be fudging their own numbers. They think highly of themselves. Those who go once per month jumps up to 42%. Um, so those would probably be people that are somewhat connected to a church, 42% in Texas. And those who go at least once or twice a year is 50%. Those who never go at all is 50%. So in Texas, maybe it's more like 40%, 4 out of 10, a little bit higher than the national average of 3 out of 10. If you boil it down to Angelina County, 
If you boil it down to Angelina County, here's what we know. Uh, from the 2000 census, those who checked off on the box that they were an evangelical Christian, no, no check on whether they actually were what they believed, they just checked that box, 48% in 2000. In 2010, just 10 years later, that number was down to 41%. It had gone from four, almost half to just four in five. They say the trends are continuing. So what that means today, in Angelina County, the number is probably more like 35%. Rough number, that's one in three. In Angelina County, we're the Bible Belt, right? We got a bunch of Christians. One in three check off that they're a believer in Angelina County. Do you see how the kingdom of darkness is expanding? The kingdom of light is not growing here. And that's sad to say for me. The numbers say that we're not actually advancing the gospel. We're not actually seeing people come to the Lord. It's actually the, the opposite. One, for every Christian that says they're a Christian in Angelina County, there are two people that aren't. If you bullet it down a little further, from Angelina County to Huntington, Texas, um, this one's a little bit more of a guess on our part. There are about... 8,400 people in Huntington ISD. That's about, there's also census numbers. Within 10 miles of our church, there are about 8,400 people. It's like 86, I think. 8,400 people. So we we think Huntington, 2,000 people. In reality, it's four times that big. There's 8,400 people that really live in Huntington. So we as a staff kind of try to figure out, on an average Sunday morning, how many people in Huntington, Texas, are in church. There are roughly 25 churches in Huntington, Texas, or within that 10 miles. 25, which kind of sounds like a lot. I asked Steve Gross how many he could name. We got to like eight or 10. Maybe we got to 12. I don't remember. We didn't even get halfway, but there are roughly 25 churches that exist with congregations anywhere from 20 people to us over 200. So we did a rough estimate of how many people on an average Sunday in those churches, if you add it all up and and consider those who go to Lufkin to go to church, because I know that there are those people too, you get to about 1,800 people. That sounds like a lot, because you're thinking, our city limit sign says like 21 something. We got almost all of us. But when you really consider who Huntington is, which is not just city limits, Almost three times people live outside of the city limits as those who live inside of it. The reality is right now, this Sunday morning, there are four times as many people not in a room like this than there are in church. Four times. Does that blow anybody's mind? Or does that seem like, oh, that's about right? We think of ourselves as living in this, this highly reached place, and there's Christians everywhere, and that's true. We are blessed. There are churches on every corner. There are places where people can find Jesus, but there are four, four times as many people who are not believers as there are believers. For every person in this room, for every family, there's four families that aren't in church, that aren't hearing the gospel preached, that don't know about Jesus. Four times. That blows my mind because we think of ourselves as, as 
<laughs> the Bible Belt and this, this center of Christianity. And the reality is, people here, we live in a mission field. But I don't think we really live like missionaries. We don't really live like when we go to Brookshire's, four out of the five people we say hi to probably aren't believers, probably aren't in church anywhere. We just assume so much about people. That's mind-blowing. The, the parents you interact with, teachers, four out of the five are not in church. Four out of the five are not believers. We live in a mission field, but I don't know that we're living like missionaries. I, I started to do a whole bunch more research, and then we had a baby. So you can be thankful for that, because <laughs> I, was, I was going down some dark roads, uh, looking at stats and graphics and all this stuff, and um, I wanted to know, where are, the, where are the darkest places in our town? And I think there are two, and you may go, Byron, those, those are really different. They are. One of them is this. Remember that number? He said 31% claim to be Christians, but really only 6% really believe the truth about the Bible. That 25%. That 25% of our society that claims to know God but has no commitment to him, has no uh, commitment to being in church, has no commitment to living out a life led by the Spirit, has no commitment to sharing the gospel, being about the kingdom and not their own kingdom. There's 25% of our society, I'm going to say it, that's self-deceived. That is darkness. It's darkness. And you and I... Interact with those people every day on sports teams, in clubs, in the grocery store, at school. That is darkness. And what we are called to do as people of light is to live right there on the edge of darkness and rescue people out of that to, to a, a vibrant, real relationship with Jesus Christ. That is one huge area in our Bible Belt society where we think everybody knows about Jesus and everybody has a relationship with him. That is a huge area of darkness in our society. What are we doing about being people of light to those people? How are we doing? There's another huge area, and I'm, only, I'm stopping it too again because my research got cut short by a baby. There's a lot more. But another huge area in our society in Huntington, Texas, is drugs and alcohol. It's addictions. The, the stats are kind of hard to come by for adults. Um, Peyton, can you show this? There's a lot of stats for high school seniors and students because they're forced to take a stat. Adults don't want to volunteer and say, yes, I do crack cocaine. Yes, I am addicted to alcohol. Adults don't really want to say that, and I get that because you get turned into the law for that. But among high school seniors in our region of Texas, this is not specific to our school, but it's in our region of Texas, there's a survey done, and this was the 2016 survey. 41% of high school seniors in our region of Texas have at least used an illicit drug. So when you sit at graduation, almost every other kid that walks by has at least dabbled, has at least tried some sort of drug. Uh, the number jumps up drastically. 76% of 18-year-olds in our region of Texas 
have at least dabbled with alcohol, have at least tried it, consumed it. That doesn't mean they've gotten drunk. The number of those who self-report that they've been drunk is 45%. If, if almost half of our high school seniors are experimenting with the abuse of drugs and alcohol, then I don't know what that says about our adults. I think the numbers have to be much higher for those who are adults. If that's true about Huntington, Texas, then we have a dangerous problem of darkness. And I'm, I'm equating those who are addicted to drugs and alcohol with those who are self-deceived about their salvation. Both of those are darkness. There is no difference. Because these people over here are addicted to a substance and can't control things. They're not concerned about living their life for God. And these people over here are addicted to all sorts of other things. It just doesn't happen to be a substance. But it's not Jesus. And both of those are darkness. There are all kinds of other areas. I don't mean to step on toes this morning. We could look at tons of other demographic data about poverty, about uh, race, about marriage rates, about divorce rates, about education, ethnicity. And I started to do all this and I got overwhelmed and I stopped. Because the reality is, is we live in a mission field, a place where darkness has a stronghold. But I don't know that we live like missionaries. We don't walk around Brookshire's and the ballpark and the, and, and the hospital. For the most part, if the stats are true, most of us don't even consider how we could be light in this dark place. I hope those stats aren't true about our church. I hope that more than 10% of us are actually sharing the gospel on a normal week or a normal month. But what this comes down to today, I think, for us, is if we are not people who are being led by the Spirit, we are not people who are walking with the Spirit, then the reality is, is that trend line will continue to go down. And the kingdom of darkness will have a stronger hold here in Huntington, Texas, as time goes on. And the kingdom of light will continue to shrink. We have the solution, though. What is it? Being led by the Spirit. Sharing the gospel with our, with our neighbors. Being on the edge of darkness. Helping rescue people out of darkness and into light. Because we know that that's what's best for them. But if we don't live on the edge, if we retreat to the center and only have, you know, Christian friends, and, and, and this is all a waste. We're not really doing what we've been called to do as a church. Which for us, yes, is to go help reach the Kenyanka people, but we are here in Huntington, Texas, called to be light. We are the largest church in Huntington, Texas. We should be making a big dent in darkness. Man, and we have, some, we have some great things, so don't hear me saying we're not doing anything. Most Excellent Way does an amazing job of being right on the edge of darkness, helping drag some people out from stuff that, that got overwhelming and pointing them to Jesus as the hope of their freedom. We have other people and other ministries, so don't, I don't want you to walk away from this feeling guilty. I want you to walk away from this feeling motivated, to open your eyes to the fact that Four out of the five people you interact with on a daily basis don't know Jesus and aren't walking with him. If our band could come forward, I want you to think about one, 
one question and then one prayer. Let's do the prayer first. I think a great prayer, I mean, obviously we can pray for boldness today. If that's you, and like, man, Byron, I'm just not, that's not my personality. I'm with you. It's not me in everyday relationships to just step out and talk to people about their faith. So we need to pray for boldness. I think more than anything, we need to pray, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes to see people, to see Huntington, to see those who don't know you, to see those who, who are living in darkness, whether it's so apparent because of drugs and alcohol addiction or whether it's just masked with all this other American success. Lord, open our eyes to see those that need you. And then I want you to pray about who am I called? Who do I interact with on a daily basis and have a relationship with that you're calling me to reach? If you're a person of light and you're in a person of darkness's life, you're there for a reason, to be light, to help rescue them out of darkness and into light. If you would, stand with me and let me pray. God, we need you, and God, I pray that we wouldn't feel uh, shame this morning for where we failed you. God, we, we've been given forgiveness from you, God, because of what Jesus has done. God, you've rescued us out of darkness and brought us into light. God, may we rejoice in that and be thankful for that, but God, may we be people of light who are making a dent in the darkest places of Huntington, Texas. God, may we, we, be, we be missionaries here. God, we live in a mission field where four times as many people aren't believers as there are believers, God. God, may we be those who, who make an impact in this community. May we not be content as a church to just have uh, who we have right now, God, but may we want to see darkness pushed back by light. God, may we want to see people rescued out of the darkness and brought into the kingdom of your marvelous light. God, we need you today. God, I pray that we would be people who walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, God. God, we love you, and we praise you for all you've done. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.